Welcome to the third episode of You'll Think of Something. I'm Kara Oropalo, a producer turned professor. I used to work in animation and now I teach it. I study and teach how to manage artists. And I'm Allie Perkins. I'm a talent and HR professional with lots of experience facilitating in a classroom and virtual environment. I have a real passion for learning about new frameworks and how different perspectives can shed new light on old challenges. And this is episode three. Woo! <laughs> We've made it this far. And just so you remember what we're doing here, uh, we're creating a podcast that will hopefully provide a space for focused discussion on how to be a productive, creative person on a team or in your own personal work uh, or just in your life in general. Each episode will center around a topic and an accompanying worksheet, and separately, we're going to fill out that same worksheet prior to the show and then share our answers with each other during the podcast. This worksheet will be available for you to complete as well. So if you haven't yet, uh, you can go to our website and check out the worksheet for episode three. Next up, we have our could be better section. Uh, in this section, we revisit our previous episode or previous episodes uh, and address your feedback or address a couple of things that we know that we could do better. Um, so Kara, I think you're up this week. Yeah, it's my turn. So in episode two, uh, Allie referenced the Eisenhower matrix, which we're both big fans of using um, to help figure out what our priorities are. And while talking about that, I referenced zing out. And zing out is actually uh, in reference to a different <laughs> quadrant matrix, <laughs> a different four quadrant matrix called social styles. Um, that if you're familiar with something like the disc assessment, um, or I, honestly, I think sometimes people are rated using the social styles method. Um, it's it's um, it's a way to uh, assess what type of personality you are in the workplace. And that is when you actually Z out, when you move from one quadrant to the next based on your stress level. So, um, yeah, they sort of relate but aren't exactly the same thing. My bad. No, thank you for that clarification. And, Allie, I think you have something to clarify as well. You're right, Kara. When we started this podcast, uh, I told our listeners that I was between positions and I was seeking my new opportunity. And I'm really happy to announce that I got that. Ellie got a job! <laughs> uh, so I'm really excited to be joining Team Toyota, uh, Toyota Motor of North America, uh, as their senior analyst, uh, management development strategies. So I'm going to update that on all my about info yeah. and get my LinkedIn <laughs> up to date. Um, and I'm just really happy to be able to share that good news with our listeners. Yeah, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. You were really there during the lows. And so. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it's, a, it's important to recognize that like this time, you know, has been hard for everyone for a myriad of reasons. And a lot of people are struggling with work right now. So um, it's it's wonderful that you were able to um, turn this situation around and actually turn it into like an even better position than you were in before. So congratulations. Thank you. 
um, now I actually have the credentials to be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were good before. Don't worry. <laughs> so we're calling this episode the joy of meetings, mm-hmm. and and we when we say the joy of meetings, what are we talking about? Good question, Allie. Um, well, we're not going to talk about how to run a meeting today. We will talk about that when we talk about facilitation. Maybe that's going to be in season two. Um, we're going to stick to um, the more important area of meeting management, which is planning a meeting. That's the hardest part. Um, that's the thing that we all forget about. Um, and I think that that's because um, the meeting is not the actual work. The meeting is the tool to facilitate the work. And so we have to get the planning in beforehand to make sure that the meeting is effective. And it really is the most important part because it's going to set the tone for how your meeting goes. Yeah. And it's going to, it, you know, and when it sets that tone, it's also going to have an impact on how productive the meeting is going to be. And when we're talking about meetings, I think... Um, it's really important here that we remember we're talking about meetings like on all levels. So we're talking about PTA meetings. We're talking about um, book clubs. We're talking about um, neighborhood uh, planning parties or committees um, as well as meetings in our workplace, right? And in fact, the meetings that are perhaps the most difficult to control or the meetings that are the most difficult to wrap our arms around are those ones where we're all peers, where we're all coming in on the same level, which is often those committee type of meetings. So I just want people to keep that in mind um, that this, when we say meeting, we're, we're not just trying to talk about like the corporate space. No, I'm so glad you said that because you're right. It is really difficult to wrangle uh, those meetings where everyone kind of has an equal stake and where maybe no one has been defined as the leader. You're all supposed to come in and make the decision together. Everyone's a leader. (laughs) So, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, As we jump into the worksheet, I just wanted to remind you that we don't look at each other's answers before we sit down to record. So this really is just two professionals chatting about their experiences, talking about the tools that have worked for them and those that haven't worked for them. So uh, just keep that in mind that this is a pretty organic discussion. Yeah, I hope so. Just two ladies talking about meetings. So uh, if you've got your worksheet handy, now's the time to pull it out because um, that's what we're doing. So Allie, do you like meetings? Why or why not? You know, I really don't mind meetings. <laughs> you know you're in the minority here. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but I really don't mind them at all, especially if they're productive. Then I really like them. I find myself uh, saying sometimes uh, to coworkers or peers, you know, we could just fix this if we had a meeting or we could just solve this issue if we sat down and talked about it uh, instead of maybe exchanging emails or playing phone tag. Um, I really do appreciate the art of the meeting. Yeah, I get that. What about you? Um, no, I don't really like meetings, <laughs> um, but I think they're a necessary evil. Um, I think the trouble with meetings is they can so easily feel like they're, you know, they're a waste of time, right? I would say that uh, 
five out of six meetings feel like they don't need to be real meetings. And so that sense of having a meeting, seeing that meeting approach on your calendar, the meeting dread um, is real, right? And, and so as a person who recognizes that they're very important and when done well, they're very effective, I, I know that they're, imp- I know we need to have them. Um, but I will be the first person to say that uh, when I look at my day and I see that it's full of meetings, I'm like, no. <laughs> Maybe we should rename this episode to the trouble with meetings. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble with meetings is. Yeah. So I have to say I'm not crazy about them, but I do know that they um, they need to happen. Mm-hmm. And to your point, um, I think that a lot of times problems could be solved if we were just willing to get in the same space and talk about it. And it's so easy, especially in our current virtual culture, to ignore getting in the same space. You're so right. But that's what I just said, Kara. That <laughs> we could solve so many problems if we would just meet about it. I know. The trouble is, and we can get into this more too, is this concept of meet when you need to versus standing meetings. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those standing meetings that we're doing this because it says on our calendar that we need to do this versus we're meeting because we have shit to do. Yeah. Okay. That's my thing. Got it. Yeah. I got it. But anyway, um, tell me, especially since you um, you like meetings, tell me what makes a meeting good. Oh, so a meeting is really good when there's someone who is leading the meeting. Oh. So there's yes. a facilitator, there's someone there to break up disagreements, there's someone to keep us moving forward, there's someone who has the objective in mind the whole way through. Yes. So when someone is truly leading a meeting, uh, it can be really, really good. Um, meetings are also good when they have ground rules. Mm. Um, I feel very passionate about having a sense of accountability yes. to your coworkers, your peers, your teammates. Uh, and so having ground rules means that all of the weight isn't on the shoulders of the facilitator. It's also on the other people in the meeting to uphold those ground rules and uh, for themselves mm-hmm. and to um, you know call others out when they're not upholding the ground rules. So that's that's another one. Uh, when a meeting has a north star, and Ooh, yeah, you I like, like that? that? I like that expression. Yeah, um, and that means when a meeting is good, it usually means that there is a decision or a an understanding or a real objective yes. that needs to be achieved, and you can say at the end of that meeting, "Yes, we did it," or "No, we didn't," and those outcomes, right, are so, so important to a good meeting. And then last but not least, having the right people yes. in the meeting and the right amount of people. Mm-hmm. So this is the my point about people. The first thing is, is that if the decision maker is not in the room or if the decision making body is not in the room, you may as well not have the meeting. Yeah. And then the second thing, part of this is that if the decision-making body is in the room, but there are also 35 other people, it's distracting, it's unnecessary, and you're drawing attention away from that objective. So it's really, really important that the key players are in the room and that you don't have too many people or too few people to make the right decisions. 
Oh my gosh, I think that's totally true. It, we see this happen a lot in animation, mm-hmm. um, which will dovetail into me talking a little bit about what makes a meeting bad. Um, but so often, um, when you're when you're in the middle of making uh, a large creative project, um, like animated films have 300 people on them, right? And so let's say you're in animation dailies. Animation animation dailies could have all of the animators, so you could have like 20 to 30 animators in there, and then technically everybody else has a stake in what's happening in that meeting, right? Everybody else could say, well, I need to know the outcome of this meeting because it affects me. But then you could end up having this room with like over 60 people in it. And number one, um, that's a huge waste of time, a huge waste of money, but also uh, you're crowding that personal creative space, right? And the people that really need to be there are the head of animation, the animator, the director, uh, and probably the producer because you need your budget person as well as your creative person there to make sure things are getting done. And yes, you need other people there, right? You, there's, there's, I'll be the first to say that we need production people there. You need people there to take notes. You need people there to run the, um, the computer. You need things like that, right? But what I'm saying is that the rest of these people who want to be a part of the action don't necessarily need to be there and can totally distract from the meeting. Um, we had a director at DreamWorks who used to refer to production people as laptops. And he would be like, get the laptops out of the room. But here's the valid point. There would be 20 people sitting along the back wall on their laptops. And if you're multitasking and doing something else during the meeting, then maybe you don't need to be in that meeting. Oh, I agree. Um, have you ever used a meeting calculator? No, tell me about that. Oh, this is so great. Because I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that meetings are expensive. Because from a participant's standpoint, we are going in and not really thinking about the monetary value yeah. that our time has, our hours have, right? So a meeting calculator, um, and it's just, you can find them all over the internet, just type it in Google. Um, but it will um, it will help you to calculate the salaries <gasps> and the hours, and you multiply all of that stuff together, and it'll give you an approximate value oh my gosh for that meeting and I can only imagine oh what that value was like at DreamWorks yeah it's bananas right that is like legit banana cakes right there like mm-hmm. like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah, in so, one hour yes yeah, so is this meeting really worth seventy five thousand dollars yeah. you tell me yeah right exactly exactly I think the other uh place where meetings go bad um I'll continue on my animation um rant by the way, there are lots of great an- animation meetings as well, but <laughs> um, but it's a good example of like where where some creative meetings can go awry. Um, when you're working out the process um, and and something uh, isn't owned by a particular department, right? So it's an interdepartment issue. Um, this comes up in ex- like for example when we were working on uh, Rise of the Guardians, uh, and you're thinking about uh, the Easter Bunny's whiskers. We legit had a series of meetings about the Easter Bunny's whiskers, right? And the trouble was, it was like, who owns these whiskers? And when no one knows who owns the whiskers, then nobody's driving the meeting or driving that directive to make sure that you reach a successful conclusion. So who owns the whiskers? (laughs) I think uh, rigging ended up owning the whiskers. Yeah, so when that happens, like everyone gets into a room and everyone recognizes that this is a topic that needs to be discussed, but nobody's willing to own it because they're also like, I don't want to own this. I have a lot of work to do. 
I don't want to stick my neck out for this thing, right? Um, and so those kinds of moments can be really difficult because there's no, like to your point, you need someone to be running the meeting. You need someone to be choosing what is the objective or the directive and just pulling a bunch of people together into a room and saying, let's hash this out. Isn't always the most successful way to reach a conclusion. Yes, exactly. And I think one thing, uh, for me that can either tip a meeting into the good or bad area is how much people are talking, uh, whether everyone, uh, gets to share the space. Um, and that can be a good or bad thing, right? Because sometimes it feels like one person is monopolizing the conversation and then that forces other people to feel, um, you know, disinterest or to feel intimidated and not be able to speak up. And then other times you have situations in which um, everyone feels like they have to say something or contribute because they have to posture, right? For a boss or for an important person in the room. Um, or even if it's just like, you're um, in a meeting and you have a, a special guest and people want to like, you know, and that doesn't even have to be in a work situation, but like they just want to posture in front of the special guest. This happens a lot with like Q&A sessions, right? Or things like that. Um, then you feel stuck because people feel the need to talk and they don't know when to stop talking. So that balance of talking can either be, again, like a really wonderful thing if everyone feels like they have a voice and have like a shared space to discuss or really bad if people feel like they have to speak or not speak for the wrong reasons. And it ends up feeling very performative mm. and mm -hmm. the outcome is that it's non-productive. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. So we're talking about you know, some of these crummy things about meetings, uh, but we recognize that meetings are really important. So let's talk about how we can make them useful. So Allie, how do you go about planning for a meeting to make it useful? So there are um, a handful of things that I do uh, prior to every meeting that I have. And I want to be clear that these aren't the kinds of meetings that um, maybe I just throw in the calendar, you know, or if I saw you in the hallway in the morning and I said, hey, Kara, uh, do you want to meet, you know, in 20 minutes just to talk about X, Y, and Z? I might not go into this much detailed planning, yeah. uh, especially if it's a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, et cetera. But these are the kinds of meetings, uh, or when I'm talking about planning these kinds of meetings, I'm talking about maybe bringing people together who don't know each other. Uh, or um, meetings that have been planned for a really long time or take place in the future. So there needs to be a certain amount of planning that goes around them. Yeah. So first and foremost, the very if you do one thing, one thing to make a meeting productive, you need to define your outcome. I love that. <clears throat> you need to define your desired outcome. And a desired outcome can be two types. The first type is a knowledge outcome. And the second type is a decision outcome. So decision outcomes, you know what that means. We need to make a decision about X, Y, and Z. So Bunny's whiskers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so who owns the whiskers would be uh, a decision you need to make. The other is a little bit more abstract. So when I'm talking about a knowledge, uh, a knowledge outcome, I'm thinking about when you have a meeting that is informational. Mm. So you need to have an understanding of X, Y, and Z. Really. I mean, and we attend knowledge meetings all the time. Right. Think about when, uh, you know, yearly when your, uh, your 
human resources department might sponsor a meeting from your investment, um, the investment group that works with the company, just so that you guys can understand where your money's going. You know, that's, you're not making any decisions in that meeting. Right. You're just coming to an understanding. Right. Uh, and then the second most important thing is creating an agenda and determining ownership for every item on that agenda. Yes. So, um, and it's not just ownership, but it's also assigning those items a time. Mm-hmm. So when you are making up your agenda, those items need to be in an order that makes sense. And uh, you need to give an appropriate amount of time and you need to assign an owner or else you're going to be running the whole meeting and preparing all of the content for that meeting. And there be maybe somebody who knows the content better than you or who has ownership over the content who may not want you to be talking yeah. about their content. Right, right. So you have to be respectful of that. I think that's really interesting. Uh, if um, It's interesting you say the thing about the time um, because coming from a creative space, um, I agree that you need to have time assigned to those agendas, but I've also noticed that if I put time limits on the agenda, um, it, it upsets people. So Creative. What I know. So what I often do, just so people know, yeah. is that I create an agenda uh, for the production folks in the room, for the management folks in the room, of this is how long each item is assumed to go, Um, And then there is another agenda that does not have time associated to those tasks to be given to creative people so that they don't feel like they're boxed in. Because I cannot tell you how many times I've had a director be like, this is not a five minute conversation. How dare you assume this is only going to take five minutes? You make a shadow agenda. Yes, I make a shadow agenda, Um, which really gets into, and I'll go into this in a minute, like I cannot tell you the amount of homework that I do when planning for a meeting that involves persuasion and politics. That is such a good point. Yeah. Because, you know, and I was just thinking about this when, as I was talking about objectives, but in that, in those activities, right, in determining an objective, yeah. in uh, navigating those relationships yeah. and politics around a certain specific meeting, yeah. you may decide it's not worth it to have right. a meeting. Right. Or that it wouldn't be a good use of, everyone's time yep uh or that you can solve the meet you can solve for the outcome without having the meeting right yes just from kind of those machinations yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah okay so the hard work is done in my process at least right so I've got my objective I've got my agenda and then comes those steps that are necessary for executing that agenda so my third step is communicate ownership. I love that. Of the agenda items. Yes. You don't want people to be surprised. when. They oh my gosh, yes. I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yes. So if you're going to have someone talk for 20 minutes about their project, you need to tell them that. Do not surprise them with that information when they walk into the room. Yes. That's not fair to anybody. Yes. Which brings me to number four. Uh, send out the agenda. <laughs> yes. Don't just keep it for yourself. Yeah. It's not going to do you any good. It's just going to frustrate you. If I can, to, to this point though, sort of in the, your last couple points about like uh, communicating ownership, ownership, sending out the agenda, making sure people know that they need to come prepared to speak on something. Um, 
I do think that's really important because so often when we schedule a meeting and we are the manager of the meeting, we assume it's all on me. And I think this happens a lot. Um, again, to go back to that example of like a, a neighborhood association or for my students, a lot of times like being in like a club mm -hmm. um, or being in some sort of organization that it's like, oh, it is my meeting. I have to do everything. And to go back to that idea of like a quality of people talking, you absolutely do not have to do that. You know, you can pass it off to your treasurer or pass it off to the person who's in charge of this committee, right? Like I think that those sorts of moments allow you uh, a moment to like step back and take a break. And it also allows other people time to shine. That is an excellent point. And, and I want to encourage people who mentor others mm. or who are um, kind of prepping their successors, yes. uh, especially in community organizations or in professional organizations, right? Where boards and committees shift members all the time. Yeah. So when there is something on the agenda that doesn't need necessarily a specific expertise or doesn't need your institutional knowledge, hand it off to somebody who needs that experience, right. talking to a crowd, organizing their thoughts, preparing written notes. Um, give them that opportunity, especially when it's low stakes, to get their feet Firmly on the ground. I love that. Like if you have a, a standing meeting every week where your department gives like a weekly report, uh, it's no skin off your nose to let the person who's, who reports to you give that report every other week, right? Everybody's going to be fine. Nobody's going to, you know, miss any like key information. And also that person is going to get more confident and nobody's going to biff it that bad. No. Ooh, 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 it was a big bug. <laughs> I'm not editing it was a that. Cockroach. No, <laughs> we're recording live from Texas. Yeah, right. <laughs> and a cockroach just flew onto my shoulder. I guarantee you, if that thing comes anywhere near me, I know. She's, ladies and gentlemen, she's gonna kill it. Oh my god, you're my hero. You're my hero. Did you kill it? That means nothing. See, see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just get yourself okay. together. You should like include some of this that you feel like is appropriate. Oh no, I'm, I think I'm just gonna do it like one episode called Kara versus the Cockroach. Kara versus the Cockroach yeah. sub mini yeah. episode. <laughs> so, so here's the thing: when you hand something off like that, like what is gonna happen? Like nobody is gonna biff it so badly right? That you um, are going to lose your job or that they're going to lose their job. Like all you're doing is allowing that person to grow. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, the, hopefully the people around you and also attending that meeting will acknowledge and appreciate that. Yeah. And it'll also make them less afraid to stand up on their own in yeah. the future, hopefully. Yeah. It brings me to my last point. Okay. So at this point, you've gotten your North Star, you have created an agenda. Then you've communicated ownership to the people that are on the agenda. You've sent out the agenda. Oh, one thing I did forget. When you send out an email, like if you're sending out an email and the agenda is attached, make sure that you write in the subject line or in the body of the email in some sort of bold that the agenda is attached. And there's nothing wrong 
with just putting the agenda in the body of the email. Absolutely. I I do that all the time. I attach it and I paste it into the email. Because you can send it out as many times as you want and there will always be that one person that goes, wait, I didn't get an agenda. Yes, which is why I always also recap what the agenda is at the top of the meeting. But you know what makes me really upset is that that person is lying to my face. (laughs) I know they got an agenda. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. But yes, you can also, for their benefit, review the agenda. Now, the last item is preparing the space. Ooh. Yeah. So when you are selecting an area... If you are able to go into the community center, the room, the um, meeting area beforehand, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you do that. And there are a couple of reasons. The first one is logistical. Uh, You want to make sure that there's seating available for everyone and that it's comfortable seating, especially if you're going to be seeing or looking at uh, a screen of any sort. If there's a screen, you need to make sure that you know how to turn it on and off and that all of the tech works. Yes. And that your computer works with that tech setup because there's nothing worse than getting ready for a meeting or having people waiting on you and you have you don't have the right connector. So make sure in advance. If I can um, just... Uh this is a total name dropping moment, Go but if I, can ins- if I can share a moment that I didn't get to do that. Um, so oftentimes at DreamWorks, we would have to pitch to actors and normally it would be a situation in which um, I have prepared all of the content beforehand. I was often involved with this being in story and art and animation. Those were areas where I was having to help uh, prepare visuals for actors and for Rise of the Guardians, Alec Baldwin was coming in and we had prepared a ton of work for him and um, it was all loaded on the computer beforehand. Uh, the meeting was uh, going off without a hitch. I was not in the meeting. I just prepared the work beforehand and then had left the meeting. And in the middle of the meeting, uh, they called me and said, Kara, can you come pull up those effects tests? We really want to show Alex the cool effects tests that are going on right now. And I was like, What? Oh my God. (laughs) So I had to go into this room and uh, get onto the computer. And not only was everything was set up on Windows and I had to pull the tests up on Linux. So I had to switch over to Linux and pull this, these tests up while I was in the room with Jeffrey Katzenberg and Alex, Alec Baldwin. Did I say Alex? You did. Oh shit. Should I start over? He won't know. Okay. Don't, don't tell Alec Baldwin (laughs) that I called him Alex guys. Anyways. Um, I had to be in there like pulling the stuff up on the machine while like literally Jeffrey Katzenberg is vamping with Alec Baldwin in the back. Uh, and he's like, they're like talking about the Oscars because Alec Baldwin had just hosted the Oscars and they're like talking all about like, how did it go? What was it like? Who did you see? And they're just like chatting. And meanwhile, I'm like, I can't remember the Linux command to pull this effects test up. And it was the most nerve wracking like 10 minutes of my life, but I did it. And did it play on the speakers? It played on the speakers. It played on the computer. Alec Baldwin was in the movie. You know, basically all because I pulled up the effects test for our sand. 100%. (laughs) That's incredible. And I got stressed just listening to that meeting. I know. Or listening, listening to that story. 
Yeah. Is that, like, I, I don't know if I could have done it under that kind of pressure. <laughs> oh, man. No, that's great. That's really good. Um, the other thing is if your meeting is over, I would say, an hour and a half long, um, build in breaks. Even if it's a five to 10 minute bio break, locate the restrooms, which is an important part of preparing the space. Uh, and uh, if it is going to be a 90 minute, two hour, three hour, especially if it's a half day meeting, if you are able, provide water and or snacks. I love it. And they don't need to be messy snacks, things in wrappers or anything like that, um, but you need to provide individuals with at least hydration and some sort of nourishment, or else you're going to uh, you're going to feel the consequences of people getting antsy, um, of being uncomfortable, uh, and at the very worst, being hungry. Mm-hmm. And uh, and none of that is good for concentration uh, or for participation. So um, a meeting's not a meeting unless there are snacks. <laughs> So that, that's what I've got, Kara. So I'm, I'm really interested in what your framework looks like for preparing a good meeting. Yeah, so when I teach how to plan for a good meeting, um, I usually uh, I have five steps that I tell people to walk through, um, and they are avoid, plan, run, end, and see it through. And as I've already said, the number one tip here is to avoid having the meeting at all. Don't have a meeting if it costs a lot of money and you don't know what you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> Avoid it. <laughs> what you don't see is Allie like silent laughing over here so she doesn't mess up our podcast. <laughs> because I, I, it's so funny um, what our emphasis, our different emphasis is on. I'm already obviously resigned to having the meeting. <laughs> like, um, but you are doing a lot of upfront work in really thinking about time that it's a time value proposition it's a time value proposition and I'm so glad that you said it like that um here's the thing also I come from a space where uh meetings are had in order to avoid making decisions and uh there's a a really interesting meeting guru named Al Pintempali he's written a bunch of books on meetings and he says an addiction to meetings uh wait, wait let me make sure I get my quote right Um, says something like, an addiction to meetings is caused by an inability to make a decision. And I'll get the the exact quote for us on that. Uh, But he talks a lot about the fact that uh, we are uh, afraid or our leaders are often afraid to make decisions on their own and instead want to pull a bunch of people together to uh, pull them and see what they think. And while there's nothing wrong with uh, asking your Uh, people what they think there are also moments in which as a leader you have to make a decision and you have to deal with the repercussions of that decision right Mm -hmm. and that is where I get frustrated with meetings is so often it's like let's all come together to make a joint decision so that now none of us can be blamed if it is the wrong decision you know or on the flip side of that it's let's all get together to make a joint decision but the decider has already decided and that happens so often Uh doesn't it yeah and so everything so not only is it not productive right because the decision has technically already been made uh, but then it is 
horrible for morale because you've all been pulled away from your daily lives, your family, your work that you need to be doing in order to talk about a decision in which your opinion and perspective is disregarded from the moment you walk into that meeting. Yeah, and you want to talk about performative. Like, I mean, that's exactly what happens there. So this is why I... This is why I harp on the idea of avoiding meetings. That being said, I think when done well, I think when everyone is in the same headspace, I absolutely believe meetings are amazing. So let's go into how I think you should plan for a meeting. It's very similar to yours, so I don't want to belabor the point. Um, But a couple things that I want to emphasize that are a little bit different. Um, Number one, um, I like to really define roles for people. um, And I think that... um, that's uh, similar to what you're talking about with ownership, but just to take it a step further, um, I like to really spell out, and, and this, this comes from a space where I, I spend a lot of time in, in, in creative meetings where we're doing things like approvals or um, where people are showcasing visuals. Um, so you want to make sure that there is a facilitator or a manager for the meeting, and then you want to make sure that there's a person who is running the computer, running the screen, Um, I think that's really important uh, now in the virtual space. I mean, it's always important because if you're all in a room together, there needs to be someone running the screen. But if you're all in a virtual space, you don't want to have that awkward moment of like, are you are you pulling it up? Am I pulling it up? Who's pulling up the PowerPoint to show this? Who's going to run this? Oh, I guess my computer's not working. So, Lisa, why don't you pull it up and then I'll just tell you when to click through. Right. It's so frustrating. With, and there's one more role. Can I, can I add oh, a role? Oh, yeah, I have more roles too. Oh, oh well, then yeah. I'll let you finish. <laughs> and then uh, uh, another role is the note taker. The person who gets that you're going to say. I was about to say the scribe. Yes. Oh, I like the scribe. Isn't That's that so much nice? fancier. Yes. Yeah. So the note taker is the person who has been designated to capture um, – Uh, the overall discussion, as well as the action items of the meeting. And I think that's incredibly important, again, to go back to this concept of the meeting is not the work. The meeting is the tool to advance the work. And therefore, you need to have a record of what happened and you need to know what your action items are and have you met that objective. So you need to have those notes to have a really um, productive meeting because, again, people who weren't in the meeting, because if you're keeping your meeting small as you should or if you're keeping your meeting to the right attendees, You need to make sure that everyone else is clear on the decisions that were made in the meeting or the knowledge that was expressed in that meeting and that there's a record so that you can go back to that in a year when everybody's like, what did we decide? You can go back and say, this was the decision that we made. Um, And then lastly, if you're in an approval situation, which is so often the case in creative situations, um, you need to make sure that there is both the creative approval and the budget approval person there. And I think it's really important that you have both because I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations when people are like, so we just got a ton of notes from the visual effects supervisor and that's great and all, but we don't have the money to move forward on these notes and we need it like a producer there or a production manager there to say like, no, no, we only have two more weeks on this. We can't. We can't start over at this point, right? And that's why you need that like yin and yang of the budget and the creative there to balance each other out. Yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of the budget person being there or at least the knowledge of the budget being present in the room in some capacity um, because you can have amazing, wonderful ideas. Yes. (laughs) But if if there aren't resources to put behind them, then it's just as, non-productive yeah 
then you've all wasted your time being like, wouldn't it be cool if? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so those are my main, um, my main points. I think that the big thing that um, in planning uh, that I wanted to focus on uh, is that I do spend a lot of time uh, on the persuasion side of things prior to walking into a room. And what do I mean by this? Um, I'm going to use, again, animation as an example. However, I would like to note that I think that this is very um, relevant for like local politics uh, as well as like any sort of like committee situation, right? Basically, you want to walk into a meeting and know what the, you know, you want to feel like 90% sure of what your outcome is before you walk into that meeting. How do we do that? We do that by uh, uh, managing up, by preparing the people above us with the information that we're going to share, by um, explaining to them, I'm, I, I anticipate this problem do you think that you can come to my aid if this comes up, right? Um, or also, um, if you're like, I'm worried about these two personalities, uh, they tend to clash in this meeting. What can I do beforehand to smooth things over so that both of them can come into this? Oh, my God, is there another cockroach? I think it's alive still. Ah, it's the same one. I know. He looks hurt, though. Yeah, he does. He doesn't look like he has He's the got same like a thing bigger. going on at the end. Okay, I was talking about the homework part of it. Yes. The pers- so you were talking about the persuasion. Oh, I think I was talking about if there are two personalities who are like. Yes, okay, that so, was so good. Um, this is the, the honestly the key thing that I have to talk to production people about, which is like you don't just walk into the meeting. Like there's so much work that you have to do beforehand to um, – get your thing approved, right? You have to go to the people above you and lobby them. You have to go to the people on the side and lobby them. Like there's all this work that you have to do. Anyway, so, um, so, or if you have a situation where maybe two people don't get along that well and you want to get in there and sort of, uh, um, get them on each other's side or at least in a place of agreement before the meeting, this is the kind of thing that um, I do a lot of, and I, I recognize that some people might be like, oh, that feels like manipulation. Uh, however, um, I look at it as, you know, working towards a common goal and trying to reach that space, right? So for example, if you have um, two different department heads and they don't get along very well, what can you do um, if you're show, showcasing an idea in a meeting that you want to make sure doesn't devolve into a fight, what can you do to either have them have that discussion before the meeting or perhaps um, just do a little like ego massaging beforehand to make sure that either or both come into the space um, with like a good mindset and are open to those new ideas. Like that's the stuff, that's the key stuff in like a creative space that's really difficult to, to, um, to capture in something like an agenda right? It's that work that's done behind the scenes to make sure that that agenda is met successfully. Uh, I also do a lot of things like um, I would work with my department heads to say things like, okay, we're going to show a lot of artwork during this time. What order do we want to put this in? Let's put the most controversial thing, for example, last because we don't want to waste the whole meeting talking about this topic, right? We want to get through the, the easy wins 
We want to like hit these out of the ballpark and be like, yep, good, 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 good. And then at the end, when people are, by the way, a little more tired and perhaps then also a little more willing to acquiesce, that's when we have that discussion. And also it's closer to the deadline and it, and it, and, and it makes that discussion more succinct. I love that you put that thought around kind of the order of the agenda because those items that are towards the end, um, it's not necessarily that they are lower priority. It, it's, that has nothing to do mm-hmm. with the order sometimes. Totally. But um, it can mean that if you put something that is controversial or that is, um, has a lot of details with it, you're going to get lost in that muck. Yes. For the entire meeting. And you may not come to a resolution on that, which means you haven't come to a resolution on anything else. Yes. And so it really has nothing to, not that it has nothing to do with prioritization, but um, prioritization when it comes to meetings takes a lot. It looks different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think, yeah. So those are the most important parts for planning for me. Um, you really covered it. I think when you talked about like running and, and uh, running the meeting and seeing it through, I would say the only thing that I want to say, there's two hot tips I want to throw out there for entry level individuals, um, with regards to running a meeting. Number one, maybe you're in a space where you're not in charge of running the meeting, but if you're the person who wrangles the attendees, everyone will love you. And that could be that if you're in an actual physical space outside of the world of COVID and you're able to like go into other offices and pull people in and be like, it's time to meet, we were expecting you, like, or calling them Um, in a virtual space, it's probably more like calling or texting or chatting them and saying, the meeting has started, come on in, right? Uh, Those kinds of things. Everyone loves that proactiveness. Uh, Another hot tip for you is if you're stepping into a space where you're having to run a meeting for the first time, a lot of times people are intimidated by this. And don't have the overflowing amounts of confidence that somehow Allie and I seem to have. (laughs) We're saying that facetiously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At at the beginning, we were definitely not okay and comfortable with running meetings. Um, If you are in that space at the beginning, uh, uh, you have to recognize that this is part of your job and that you are expected, um, you uh, you are supposed to step up in front of this space and say, hello, I have brought you here together to do X, Y, and Z. And that is not only um, an expectation, but also super necessary to make sure that that meeting is effective. So don't be afraid to run the room. Don't be afraid to frame the meeting. Everyone will be grateful for it, and it will make you look good, even though it gives you a lot of anxiety. That's absolutely right. And uh, like Kara was saying at the beginning, it can be anxiety-inducing. You can be really self-critical and think, did I do that correctly? Is that how other people would do it? But practice actually makes it more comfortable, and um, then you do start to build that confidence, especially especially when people leave the meeting and you hear, oh, that was a good meeting. Oh, is there anything better? No. Like, that's so <laughs> great. I'm like, somehow I've made the impossible possible. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's me. That's how I go about planning for a meeting. All right, so question number four. How does a virtual setting change a meeting? What should we do to adjust? Oh, this is so relevant. I know. It hurts. Oh, it's no. so relevant. Um, you know, 
I think that first and foremost, the ground rules of a virtual meeting versus an in-person meeting are different. Yeah. Um, I mean, because just you, you have more stuff to address. There's a different etiquette for virtual meetings. Uh, stay on mute, people. Uh. Okay. <laughs> it's a you know, word to the wise. Say uh, When you accept or are planning a meeting, so whether you are um, an attendee or you are the meeting leader, make sure that you clarify and recognize uh, whether it is a video or just a um, call. Oh my gosh, yes, that's a great one. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to be surprised. You don't want your attendees to be surprised either. And there, there's different protocol um, for for both of those too. You don't want to be, you know, slamming your breakfast. Yeah. While you're on your eight thirty, unless yeah. that's something you normally do, but yeah. you might not want. You might be hungry. Yeah. And you might not want to do that in front of people. Yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, just just be aware. And um, when I'm talking about ground rules in terms of virtual meetings, uh, the reason I'm uh, harping on this is because uh, I saw this play out really, really nicely uh, at a book club that I participate in. So uh, just a shameless plug for Deep Vellum Books here in Dallas, Texas. They are an indie bookseller in the Deep Ellum neighborhood of Dallas, and they are absolutely fabulous. Uh, They specialize in foreign translations of works, and they are just an incredible organization. They can order just about anything for you. And uh, we have a book club. And uh, we used to meet in person at the bookstore. And that was wonderful. Uh, I've met some incredibly talented, fun, wonderful people there. And then when COVID hit, uh, there was never, we didn't miss a beat. We just knew that it was going to go virtual. And the first meeting, um, there was just kind of conversations. We figured this out. How do we meet and have the same kind of productive, fun conversation that we usually have when we are in person? How does that translate? And so at first it was, do you want me to call on you? Um, you're just going to go first because you're on my screen. Oh, man. And, and, but, but, um, and big props to uh, the bookstore manager. Her name is Christina Rodriguez, and she nailed it. Um, so, you know, that first one, I could definitely tell that we, we were all trying to figure out how we were going to participate. Yes. Over the course of the last, I guess, five months, the way that we have engaged in that meeting has evolved to where there is a really nice structure and expectation when we go in. Um, so Christina has a way of telling us, um, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to call on each one of you. If you don't want me to call on you, then send me a message in the chat. Okay. So that's like, a, it's a really nice 
protocol, right? Yeah, that's great. Then um, the structure follows that we engage in our discussion around questions that have been submitted online. She has a co-facilitator, which is awesome. Uh, And uh, then at 8 o'clock, we bring in, so the the book club starts at 7. At 8 o'clock, we bring in the author of the book to join the conversation we do Q&A, and then we end the book club. Also, by the way, a perk of virtual that you probably always get to have the author there. It is awesome. Yeah. It is just, it's incredible uh, the way that the bookstore has done this for us and, and the the manager. Um, and, uh, you know, to to end on this note, I will say that it was an evolution, right? We, yep. all, we all had to figure it out it at the beginning. It was an evolution, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I can tell you that now, and I think the last two meetings that we've had have been such wonderful experiences, partly because of the incredible people that are there and getting to meet the author, but also because the structure is so rewarding for us as participants. And at the end, we all text each other and the text message chain just looks like, that was great. This was wonderful. Can't wait till next month. And that's when you know you really brought people together and created a really good space. And you can't ignore the logistical part of that that contributed to that success. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's really cool. Oh, that's really cool. I, uh, you actually hit on, I had had three points I wanted to talk about for, you know, making a virtual meeting successful and you've emphasized most of them actually. Um, uh, oh, that's not true. I just lied. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Lying to my face like those people who say they never got the agenda. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's garbage. (laughs) Trash. Um, I do think that assigning someone to manage the chat Uh, is a hot tip that I've recognized or realized while I've been teaching. Um, One of the things that, uh, and and obviously this is going to take a a different shape depending on what the type of meeting is, right? Um, But for me, when I uh, am teaching a 100-person class with my TA, um, my TA handles the chat. And and a chat actually allows for a wonderful level of engagement from students. So I actually really like it. Like it's a really neat way for them to comment and be a part of the conversation. But also when I'm teaching, I can't be necessarily distracted by it. Like I can't read every single thing that comes in and to have my TA sort of parse through that, respond more passively to things and then be able to also pop like elevate questions to me. Like that's been incredible. So when, when you are structuring a meeting and it's going to be a larger meeting, you might want to do something like have someone just be to your point. Sounds like same thing with book club, have that Mm -hmm. co-facilitator handling the chat. Um, So I think that's a big one. Um, I also think um, a couple other uh, pro tips that I've picked up. Number one, don't share your screen if you don't have to. Uh, And the reason why I say that is because a lot of times like the person who starts the meeting or the person who's sharing their PowerPoint or whatever, they have their, their screen share on and they forget about it. And it's hard to have a quote unquote conversation when everybody's um, been relegated to those little tiny boxes at the bottom or the side of the screen. And we're all staring at a document, but we don't need to look at the document anymore. The conversation has moved on from the document. So if you can X out, like don't forget that we have the option to X out of that, that we no longer have to share our screen all the time. It's different than when we were in a physical space 
and you had something up behind you and it didn't matter necessarily that it was up there sitting anymore while you were having your discussion. But if you can X out um, so that you can elevate everyone's uh, little video boxes and make everybody larger and more equal, it allows for better discussion. Um, and then uh, lastly, if you are like me and you get really obsessed with looking at yourself, uh, you might want to look into whether your uh, platform allows you to turn your video off, right? Because like on Google Meet, you can turn your video off and you no longer have to look at yourself, which is uh, like, honestly, like such a release. Like when I spend hours looking at the computer and most of that time I'm looking at myself reflected amongst these other faces, I don't look at the other faces. I look at what I look like. Like everybody else is doing, right? And if I'm so, does everyone else really do that? Oh yeah. Like there was actually, like I'll have to try to find it. There was this article when the pandemic first started talking about how um, body language is so difficult on Zoom yeah. because for a number of reasons, right? Like you yeah. can't make eye contact. You can't see if somebody's looking at you versus somebody else, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. um, that might be the position of their camera, et cetera. But another big part of it is that most of the time people are not reacting to other people. Most of the, most of the time people are reacting to their own image. So, so we're all like narcissists staring into the pool. Yes. Yeah, we're all just looking at ourselves all day long. And it really Fs me up when I do that. Like, I mean it. Like, I, it's like, it's wearing because I find myself posturing and trying to hold myself in certain ways. Whereas when I can turn off that video and focus on the people, um, I uh, it, it's less um, draining for me. No, I, I really like that. I really like that. So um, what are some of the things that you've tried and just thrown away? They just have not worked for you or you haven't seen great results when it comes to meetings. Uh, I think the biggest one, which we've uh, talked about a little bit already, is meeting by committee, right? Um, this concept of none of us own the meeting. Uh, let's all be equal partners in this meeting. And that happens, uh, again, in spaces where people are peers, um, it happens a lot in academia because there aren't necessarily like set bosses or leaders. And so there's this concept of like, well, here's the agenda. Just throw your items on there. And I'm not saying like there are situations with set hierarchies and structures where everyone add their, you know, points to the agenda can work. Absolutely. However, uh, I would say most of the time it doesn't. <laughs> I would say you you have to be in a special group to make that work, right? Um, that there needs to be someone who's leading that meeting, who's facilitating the meeting, who's curating the agenda items and saying, no, we're not going to talk about that this time, that we don't have time for that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. So I think that's probably my biggest one. Um, I think the other thing is um, being intimidated, like waiting for somebody else to... Uh, run it or take charge. Like I, I used to be anxious. I used to be worried. Um, I used to think this isn't my job and um, I'm just over that. Like, I'm like, no, I'm, if I'm going to run this meeting. No, that, that, <laughs> that is a perfect segue because I literally have written down on my worksheet, sitting back and not contributing or leading when I see the opportunity arise. Ooh. And this is something that I didn't learn until fairly recently, probably in the last two years of my experience, I was in a meeting with a lot of decision makers and we were um, supposed to be doing some very detailed work. And I had created an agenda and it was broad. Um, and I thought that we were going to, we were going to get into the weeds 
uh, right? So there's really no way to say, you know, get into the weeds agenda item 15 minutes. You right, know? right, 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 right. <laughs> so we were going to be doing that work together. And we really struggled to get started. Yeah. I brought up a document onto the big screen for us to start working and nobody was talking. Oh no. And I looked around and I saw tired faces. I saw our corporate leaders on their cell phones, you know, obviously doing things that needed their high priority attention. And so I said, okay, then I'm just going to start reading it. And you guys tell me if what I'm reading needs to be changed or doesn't. And we're going to go line by line. Was it the right thing to do? I'm not sure if I would go about it in that way today. I probably would do a little more pre-work. But at the time, that's what needed to happen. Yeah. In order to get action going in the meeting for people to say, no, that sentence is fine. Or yes, let's change that up. Or I think it needs to say this. And we got through most of the document during that meeting. I don't know if I hadn't just kind of brushed off my shoulders and said, you know what, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to take the reins. I'm just going to step up and determine how we're going to go about this because no one else is going to speak up. Yeah. And that's when I realized that sometimes leaders want to be led as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because it can be intimidating if you're in a room full of leaders yeah. and or you know, formal leaders yeah, uh, with the title or with the experience. And it is hard not to defer to them. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. right? Um, but also, leaders want to see other people lead. And they're too. also oftentimes, like you were pointing to, like so often, they're dealing with a lot of shit on their plates, and uh, they do, they don't know how to do the thing that's in front that's of them true. because their mind is busy in seventeen other places. That's so true. And they need you to say, "We are here to do this specific thing," and I am going to take your hand and I am going to walk you through it. Right. Mm-hmm. A big thing I talk to my students about for meetings is um, that the people that you're pitching to or the people that you're talking to um, haven't been, you know, as you say, in the weeds with you on your journey to get to this meeting. And so often people walk into a meeting and they like put artwork up or they um, are supposed to be pitching something and they just sort of, they just throw it up on screen and they say, here it is. What do you think? And these people on the other end are like, I don't know how to react it to this. I don't know how to react to this because I've come from like six other meetings where we've been talking about space planning and we've been talking about, you know, uh, the budget and we've been dealing with an issue with staffing or whatever the other issues are in your company. Um, And suddenly they're stepping into this space and they're like, I need you, I need you to tell me how I'm supposed to feel about this. Like, help me, walk me, walk me through this. That is um, such a good point about context. Yeah. Uh, if you are bringing people into the room that haven't been in the room before, then you do need to do some of that upfront work in the agenda sometimes, right? Yeah. That first 
five, 10 minutes needs to be introductions. Yeah. It needs to be um, background. Yeah. It needs to be, you know, uh, almost setting the stage yeah. um, with a couple of bullet points and saying, this is how we got here. Yeah. And these are the decisions we need you to make based on all this other work that we've done. Right. And what we're about to show you. Right, right, right. And oftentimes saying like, by the way, you asked for this. Oh gosh, yes. Reminding them <laughs> that in a meeting two weeks ago, you said, I would really like to see this. Yeah. Uh, and now you're seeing now it. Now you're seeing it. <laughs> I know you don't remember, but you asked for yes. this. Yeah, that's so true. Um, okay, so what's your number one meeting resource? So I would say that if I wanted anyone to go look up just one thing, um, I would go to the Freakonomics podcast. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's um, This is actually a podcast. This is the first podcast that Kara recommended to me. Aww. So it is episode 389, How to Make Meetings Less Terrible. So it's a really fun look at meetings, why they're so bad, and um, it gives some new perspectives around how to make your meetings more productive um, based on uh, agendas and also taking into account that very important people aspect. So a little bit about what I was talking about in terms of having the right people in the meeting and also um, a lot of what Kara was talking about in terms of addressing dynamics. So it's a really great episode. Um, if you want to learn more about meetings and how to make your meetings better, I really suggest you go check it out. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that one up. That's my favorite. So my number one resource um, that I've talked about before uh, is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Um, I'll just keep talking about Radical Candor. It's fine. I could <laughs> listen about it all day. I know. It's my faves. So uh, she has a really great section in the book um, about, uh, it's I, actually I know the exact chapters because I just assigned it. Um, <laughs> chapter four is on establishing relationships. And then chapter eight is on um, basically how do those uh, communication methods that we use in relationships relate to types of meetings. Um, and so she walks through how some meetings are for debating, some meetings are informing, some are for persuading, um, some are for, some are one-on-one, -on -one, some are staff meetings. Like she talks about the different types of meetings and uh, sort of the order that they need to go in in order to be productive. Uh, and, and that's uh, one of the first spaces where I really began to think about this idea of persuasion and the fact that, um, not only do you have to like let people to, to keep morale high, you want people to feel like they're involved, like they have a voice. Um, but then also once a decision has been made that you are persuading them that this is the right decision for a number of reasons. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yay. All right. That's the end of our worksheet. Well, that was good. Kara. Oh, that was great. Um, so I feel like we could talk about meetings. Um, I feel like we could do like seven more episodes on meetings because there's all sorts of different like facets to meetings, right? Like that we could go into here. Um, but at least I, I think that we touched on some key components to hopefully help people uh, move forward in planning more productive meetings so they don't have that same uh, emotional relationship that I have with meetings, that existential dread of like, who am I? What am I doing? How am I spending my time when I open my calendar? I'm rolling my eyes at Kara <laughs> right now because I really do think that if you 
take some time to properly define the elements that go into meetings, uh, you will be more successful at them. And the people that attend those meetings will be so appreciative of that time and effort that you took. So we're going to do a lot of uh, posts, I think, around meetings and um, talking about or, you know, making sure that you have resources and examples uh, to support the conversation that we have. Absolutely. So to wrap it up, um, Allie, what are you learning this week? So I am um, knee deep in a great book right now by the author Anna Konnikova. And the book is called The Biggest Bluff. And it is her one year foray into the world of competitive poker playing. Yes, it is incredible. And the one of the things that drew me to this book was the background story of what inspired her to pursue this project. And she had her family had a really bad year. So I think her grandmother passed away in kind of a freak accident. Her mother lost her job. Her husband lost her job. And she started... Uh, to think about uh, how much control we really have over what happens in our lives Mm -hmm. and how much luck or chance really plays a part in that. And she started to think about how much um, control we have over our lives through our actions and how much of it is actually chance. And I think that that message rings true right now as we are all living through a time that maybe a year ago none of us could have imagined Mm -hmm. and how that has impacted people in ways that has been completely out of their control. And we're very much in a culture, especially an Instagram culture, social media culture, where we say like, you make your own future. You, you know, do the work every day and you'll achieve your goal. And Yes, I absolutely believe that you have to do work every day. (laughs) However, um, I think this book examines the the role of fortune and chance. Yeah, uh, in um, how you know, just in how your life plays out. And I, it's fascinating. What she learns about herself is fascinating. She studied under Walter Michel, the marshmallow guy. Whoa, really? Yes, we just did that test with our kids. And how'd they do? Oh, they were totally fine. Of course they were. I know, they were amazing. Ugh. If you don't know what the marshmallow test is, we'll uh, link to it. And My know. kid's going to fail, and he's going to end up in jail. <laughs> um, <sighs> no self-control. Um, anyways, so yeah, well, the, um, so I will talk about the marshmallow test uh, at some point. Um, it is one of my favorite, favorite concepts. Yeah. And I love Walter Michel's work. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about that book. Cool. And I can't wait for you to read it, you know, just add it to your list. Definitely. I know. <laughs> All right, what about you? Um, actually, this week I'm really, um, it's not so much that I'm learning, but relearning and continuing to struggle with my concept of life balance. Right. And I just want to be totally honest about this because I don't want people to think that like because we're on here talking about management that we have all of our shit together. <laughs> so um, this week has been a struggle for me. I'm 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 really finding it hard to balance being a mother, um, working full time, uh, dealing with uh, uh, different daycare hours uh, or school hours because of the pandemic, 
I'm dealing with different work hours because of the pandemic. Um, I'm also in grad school right now. Um, and so it just, uh, and I'm doing some consulting work. So a lot of it is just added up. And, and part of it is that I, you know, even though like last episode I was preaching about essentialism, like again, like essentialism is this thing that we have to work at every single week. And I think these last two months I have not been great about prioritizing things for myself. Um, or I have just been um, optimistic about hoping things will get done in the time that I have allotted for them, even though they aren't going to get done, um, and therefore burning the candle at both ends. Um, and it resulted in me getting a migraine on Thursday and like going down for the count for like eight hours, right? And um, it was just, it made me recognize like I have to be better to myself. I have to be better about saying no. Um, I have to, uh, and, and, and of course, like all of this also leads into, this is why I have a, a negative relationship with meetings because when a meeting pops up on my calendar, I uh, view it as an obligation as opposed to understanding that I have the ability to say no, I have the ability to control my own time, right? So I think that uh, this week has just been uh, the continual struggle with like what is essential and how do I um, even, I, I don't want to act like I can do it all because none of us can do it all. But how can I try to recalibrate right now and make sure that I'm like balancing life? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I wish we could do it all. Yeah. I try. Yeah. I (laughs) I want to make a note that Kara practices what she preaches uh, because nine times out of 10, we meet every week. Um, but nine times out of 10, she is the one who comes prepared with an agenda or she will text me with an agenda or shoot me an email. It doesn't have to be fancy or polished, but it does its job. It keeps us on track or it keeps things that are priority, you know, top of mind. And so, you know, when you're starting out, just know that, um, that kind of, work and action is impactful. Um, but yeah, so thanks, Kara. Thanks, Allie. Being a good example. Shucks. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, uh, we are at the end of episode three, The Joy of Meetings. Thank you for listening to this episode of You'll Think of Something. Just as a reminder, the views expressed in this podcast are the personal thoughts and feelings of the hosts and do not reflect those of their affiliated workplaces or larger organizations. To find more resources from the show, including the worksheet for this episode, visit ytos-podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ytos.podcast. And please email us with feedback, with your worksheets, or with suggestions for future shows at ytos.podcast at gmail.com. And remember, don't worry, you'll think of something.